And I'm not going to be like, in my day, we used to. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that, you know. Walk up the hill both ways. That's right. I had no problem working overtime. But this new generation, you want to lose someone? Work them a lot of overtime. This is the PMP Industry Insider Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome out to another episode of the PNP Industry Insider Podcast, where we take a look at what is changing in the pest control industry, and we take it, I guess, pest and lawn, and we take it to front lines of those that are driving those changes. As always, I'm Donnie Shelton, owner of Triangle Home Services, which has Triangle Pest as well as Triangle Lawn. And with me is the omnipotent accounting pest and lawn guru. I don't know what else to call you, Dan. Mr. Dan Gordon. Dan, would you like to say good afternoon? We're recording. Good this afternoon. afternoon. I just want you to make sure that you understand what omnipotent means. Please look it up in the dictionary because I believe that you were pretty spot on and I'm not sure that you meant it. But uh, so um, anyway, good afternoon, Dan Gordon, PCO bookkeepers and m a specialists. Um we uh, specialize in uh, uh, accounting, CFO services for the pest control industry. Um, in case you didn't know, uh, we have teamed up with um, David Billingsley, who is a industry veteran and outstanding guy, knows, knows the business inside and out, uh, to um, form our peer groups. And we've formed several of them so far since we uh, um, have... Um, started talking about this. Uh, so a lot of you listeners have um, uh, gotten involved with that. If you're interested, listen to episode 136 uh, and you can learn more about it. And uh, also please consider supporting our sponsors, uh, Coal March by Workwave, for those of you who are interested in marketing, not just digital marketing, I was corrected, it's marketing. And PestSure, uh, for those of you who are interested in insurance that is specific to the pest control industry um, for uh, auto, GL, and workers' comp, and I believe EPLI and a few others. So um, they are at PestSure.com. And with that, I will uh, hand it back over to you. Well, first things first. Yes. First things first. Omnipotent means having unlimited power. Able to do anything. So yes, let's just like let's Superman. Just, yes. Okay. Un, un, yeah. Unlimited. No. Superman had kryptonite. No. That's no, true. No. Yeah. Able to do anything. So there you go. The accounting, okay. the omnipotent pest control accountant. Is that, yes, that's got I a can, pretty good read. I can do anything. You can do anything. Yeah. All righty. So today we're going to talk about something that's near and dear to all of our hearts, which is labor cost, which is going to be such a fun topic. And of course, um, for this episode, you have a special guest. Our guest is already with us. It's Mr. Dan Gordon and myself. Thank you. <laughs> and this is actually from the December issue of PMP. Um, Dan has a cover story that is an exclusive study that PCO did um, where it found that labor costs were right, rose more than 25% in five years, which we're going to get into. We're going to talk about quite a bit. So there'll be, if you look on pmp.net, uh, or I'm sure if you get the magazine, you'll see that as well. Uh, and there's going to be a sidebar in that story that shows, it talks about these nine levers that we're going to go through. And if I know Dan and I really, really well, I doubt that we'll get through all nine, but we're going to try. We're going to walk <laughs> through them here. Um, and you're going to be, basically, We come out, when you get out to the end of this podcast, the goal would be is that you understand how to reduce turnover, how to get the most 
out of your your folks. And I don't mean that in a negative way, like we're trying to kill them, meaning that you know how to manage your labor because by far, and we've said this so many times on this podcast, and we said anytime that we're together, if you want to make money in 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 pest or lawn or any service company, it all comes down to how well do you imagine manage that gross margin. Now you can screw things up, but if you get if you get your gross margin correct, which is really your service payroll, um, most likely you're going to be just fine. Uh, and so with that, Dan, let's jump right into this. Let's start talking through um, labor yeah. costs, labor pains. Kind of, I want to hear a little let's, bit more about this study that you did. Yeah. So um, we um, did a study on um, labor inflation and uh, spoke to, you know, I do a column in PMP and told them about my study and they said, Hey, that this would be really great. Uh, we want to, uh, you know, give you the cover. And um, Marty and uh, Mike there uh, said, you know, Dan, you've had probably three or four covers already. And so we're going to give you another cover. And my immediate reply was, I have, I have had all of those covers and I really appreciate it, but they never put my face on it. Uh, they always have like these, you know, uh, different uh, graphics and they're my articles. And they said that I have a face for radio. So that's why you will not see my face on the, uh, the, 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 the cover. But uh, but anyway, the, the article, uh, it focuses on um, data that we extracted from over 400 of our clients um, in, in 47 different states, which is, you know, that's significant because what the the data that we're going to talk about you know there's some states or some markets that um are you know uh, the inflation is higher than other others and uh so we did this study for clients uh, from 2018 to uh may of 2023 that's where we stopped okay and um so a couple of caveats the data is not perfectly comparable because different companies have different uh compensation arrangements with employees different job descriptions so i can't just say you know uh, a tech technician in company a does exactly what the technician in company B does. So he, you know, if he got a 10% raise each year, that's 10%. Well, maybe company B's technician is does a hybrid of sales and or, or, or some types of other things. So that's kind of a, a caveat. And we've only done this, we did the study for two, two classes of employees, technicians and CSRs, because we felt like those would be, you know, relatively close uh, company to company. We didn't do it for salespeople because there's tons and tons of sales um, compensation arrangements out there. So we're not comparing apples to apples and same with management and whatnot. So this, you know, the article is really based on technicians and CSRs. Um, and so... That's the way uh, that it worked out. The, the research that we found, though, was pretty interesting because we uh, went and looked at uh, the Department of Labor. Um, uh, they have certain data and we put our data against theirs. And what do you think we found? I would imagine that ours was actually higher. Mm, no, it was probably right within the spot of really your yeah so um and and really it accelerated quite a bit through covid right so you know um it's basically um what we knew but i felt like we wanted to quantify it and so we have some charts and whatnot in, in the uh, article that you can take a look at um if you really want to geek out on this stuff but uh, basically 
um, you know, what, what it told us is that uh, over the five years, um, wages increased about 25%, which is what the Department of Labor says uh, as well, right? So um, that would mean, and we've beaten this subject to death, uh, you know, you need to raise your prices over that five years. And because of the way that labor works into the P&L, it doesn't mean that okay, prices go up 25%. And, and if, if, if you're interested in finding out what you need to raise the prices, uh, go back to, I don't have the episodes here, but we talked about it so much. Uh, basically, um, you know, uh, um, you know, labor fits in, technician labor is, you know, all in should be around 25% with uh, payroll taxes and burden and whatnot, maybe sometimes a little bit more. If that went up 25%, that's actually 6.25% of your P&L. Um, so that's, you know, those are some of the things that you um, want to uh, look at. So, so that said, um, you know, um, it, it, uh, you know, we basically one one of the things that um, I was asked to write about, which is not part of the study, the the actual you know nuts and bolts in the data, is certain levers to control labor costs, and uh, we have lots of clients to uh, you know to 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 uh, play off of to to get that information, and so um, uh, not the least of the omnipotent Donnie Shelton and Triangle, so. Yeah. At yeah. this point, uh, we could talk about some of those levers. And, uh, you know, there, there are nine levers and they're in the article, but I, I will let you start out first. Um, hire the right people. Let's talk about that. So before we get into hiring the right people, I, I do want to make a couple of comments about what you talked about with the numbers. And, and this is more for our listeners than probably you and I. But um, number one. I've mentioned this on several podcasts. I just have to mention it again because every time we get on this topic, I just keep coming back to this article about Bill Connerly that's on Forbes.com where he talks about, you know, you can say we're not in a recession. We are in a recession. I don't really care. It, it doesn't really matter. I can tell you I'm more concerned about the micro economy than I am the macro economy because that's what affects my business. The micro economy is this. Here's the reality. There are not enough workers to fill frontline positions, and you are going to pay more for labor, it's not going to go down and it's not going to get better. Now, that's not doom and gloom. That's just reality. There's simply not as many people in the workforce, nor will they be, nor will there be for the next probably 15 to 20 years. There's this is re there's research on this. You have a lot of baby boomers that are that are retiring. They are they're wanting service. There's not enough people to backfill that population. So it is a numbers game of number of people. But like that's the very first thing, right? So, so there's that piece of it. Like you know, there, labor is not going to come down, and and also labor bodies are not going to go up. So this is going to be a long term problem, and I should say a long term uh, issue that you're going to need to deal with, and you're going to have to really think this through because. We had a real inflection point at Triangle when it came to this. I mean, you're talking about doing price increases. All in net total, we raised prices three times, 10% each time. And it's a total of 30% price increase. And it has put us in a good position. Now How about the prior, so so over five years, what did you what do you think you did? Oh, you mean price increase wise? Yeah. Maybe, maybe five percent. 
Maybe. Okay. Right. It just, so you're, you know so I mean? you're a little ahead of the curve. Here's, so, here's an interesting one. I, I don't have data on this, but you know, we're in the MA business and we get a lot of potential clients or clients who want to sell their businesses. Usually what you know, up until a couple of years ago, it's like, oh yeah, I want to get the most money because valuations are up. The what people are saying now, a lot of people are, I can't stand it anymore. I can't deal with this anymore. I gotta get out. Well, that, that it, that's getting worse and worse. You know, the valuation well, the, is one thing, but yeah. And and the point I wanted to make here is that. You know, listen, I'm a dirty capitalist just like everyone else, but I certainly don't want to screw people. But legitimately, I was in a position as a business owner. We can't, you know, our labor costs are going up dramatically, especially, you know, at least in the Raleigh market where it's just, it's going gangbusters right now. Um, and it's, you know, it's that way in Charlotte and Houston. It's, I'm sure it's like that everywhere. But, but the fact of the matter is, is that labor was going up way, way high. And so I have a decision to make as a business owner. How long am I going to go unable to really keep enough people in the seats, making, you know, keeping the prices where I'm at, getting pinched? Or do I just say, screw it? You know what? If I raise prices and I lose 20% of my customer base, I'm doing less. That takes the pressure off to having to hire more people. I'm going to make the same amount, if not more money. Maybe that, and that's option two is the the way I went. Now we didn't lose 20% of our customer base. We did take a hit more so than what we've taken in the past on the price increase. But the fact of the matter is you got to step back and like really look at your labor and look at your capability and be like, look, maybe this is what we should do. And and so anyway, I just I just want to talk about those numbers because it is it is a huge challenge. And and you know fundamentally as a business owner, it doesn't hurt for you to step back for a moment and not, you know, of course we all have fear, but you know, doing less, making the same, needing less people and still making the same amount of money. Those are things to really, really yeah. consider. Yeah. So now but let's get back the, on. The, the interesting thing though, you watch the news and they talk about inflation being up and whatnot, and everybody knows that it's up, but you just described something that every business person goes through, right? Yeah, inflation's up, but you have to make the decision to raise those prices like all of your other business people. And that's why the inflation happened. And it's an emotional decision. It's a, oh, shoot, what if I do raise it and I lose 20%? You know, that's, mm -hmm. and, and, and so that's, uh, you know, that's why people are uneasy. So, yeah. So let's talk about hiring the right people. And, you know, I laugh when I look at this because I don't know anyone that's perfect at this. We have certainly employed strategies over the years and we've gotten better at doing this. And, and even more so recently, we've gotten better at doing this. Um, but, you know, the, the reality of it is, is that whatever you can do and anything that you can do on the front side of making sure that you get the right person, obviously, is going to be a much better long-term fit. And I know this sounds so elementary, but just a few tools that you might want to think about as you're doing this. Um, if you've listened to the podcast for any amount of time, you know that I run Triangle on EOS. EOS recommends a... Um, it's not a software, but it's it's essentially like a, a, it's not even a personality test. They they recommend what's called a Colby and you can profile Colby's nothing more. And by the way, you can share Colby numbers. It's approved by the Department of Labor. You're not going to have like, you can even make, you know, decisions based on it. Like you, you need to do your research on Colby. It's, it's, it is absolutely, you know, it, it's been vetted. You have a lot more leeway than you do on some of these personality and psychological profiles that you can do. But the fact of the matter is, is that Colby's nothing more than a measure of like what people, how they naturally work. And so 
what you can do with it is you can build an index on each position, whether it be your technicians, your office staff, your leaders or whatever. And then as you're hiring or as you're interviewing, you know, if you're getting down the, down the pipeline with a person, you can see how they fit as far as a Colby. And I can tell you right now, this has absolutely changed us at Triangle implementing this. I mean, bar none. It, you, we, now, does that mean that we always make a great hire? No, we don't. But but by far, I, I mean, I wish I had data that I could share. Um, all I can tell you is sitting in my seat, since we put this in, I am a huge fan of it. Every position at Triangle has a Colby index on it. Um, and we are we are big, big fans of it just because it has changed our culture and it's changed how well we're hiring folks. And so, you know, it's like most things, right? The You know, they say in real estate, the profits made on the purchase. I would say as far as people, you know, the, the, the win is, is made in the hire, getting the right person in the right seat. Um, so what are some, what are some of the other things on the people analyzer? So EOS has uh, a people analyzer. What, what yeah. are some of the things that you, uh, so, so there's hiring the right people and then there's keeping the right people and then there's upgrading people, you know, and I mean, let's just be real here. Right. <laughs> so the people analyzer, by the way, I was not a fan. If, if you spend any time with me, um, when traction first came out, I hate to say it, I was probably a traction hater. And it was totally unfair because I didn't read the book. And I'm like, here we go. The leadership du jour, like this is the next trend. Yeah, you know, yada, yada, yada. same way. Yeah. And then I read the book and everyone talks about, oh, you got to have a great culture. You got to have a good culture, your culture, your culture, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And then I read the book and it actually has a system for designing and creating a great company culture. And, and one of those things is identifying your values. And you really there's really two tools that you do to do this. Number one is, is what's called a GWC, which is a get it, want it capacity to do it, right? You look at every position, look at every person, because as your business grows, the right person for the right seat, that changes. And you need to review that at least annually, maybe sometimes even more than that, maybe even every quarter. We review it every quarter. But you know the seats that you have at your business every quarter are changing, and so the question is: is you come back and you look at someone that's been with you a year, two, five, ten? I don't know. Do they get it? Do they want it? And do they have the capacity to do it? And and the reality of it is, is that you know if you're really really disciplined about doing that, that's going to drive your hiring and firing and and turnover decisions. Okay, so there's that tool, right? There's the GWC. And then there's the people analyzer. And this is where it gets into your culture. You know, I've had several cases where someone has been working for us and they're great technicians and they're awful culture people. And what a, what a people analyzer does is that it, it gives your managers and you a tool where you sit down and you go through all your company values. Now, this assumes that you have sat down as a company and decided these are the values that we have. And it's a plus, a plus minus, or a minus minus. And the reality of it is, is that this is where you really can get into building your company culture because now it puts it in black and white and you have a tool that says, yeah, you know, Donnie, he's doing great here, meaning myself. And then from there, um, if I'm not making it on three or four values, but I'm not really building the culture. So it's probably time for us to part ways. Does it need to be ugly? Doesn't need to be gross. But the fact is, is that if you don't, I tell people all the time in our business, we are all different. I love diversity. I love that we're all different, but we're not different when it comes to values. That's the thing that connects us all. And that's the thing that we're all the same on it. So 
when it comes to hiring right people, right, that that's a that's an ongoing process. And I think probably not only hire the right people, keep the right people. So but, <laughs> and no, upgrade it, the ones that don't, you know. Yeah, no, it's 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 hard. Uh it's uh, you know, um sometimes you need 10 people and only eight people show up. So what do you do? <laughs> right. You know? um, right. And 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 that um, you know, that that that's a problem. But um so yeah. By the way, uh, after I wrote this and after I read it and after you said it, it said hire the right people. And that seems like a no-brainer as opposed to hiring the wrong people or want to hire the wrong people, right? So, right. so the next one is uh, job descriptions. And I have a, a funny little story about job descriptions. I had a client who, um, when we were younger, he was telling me the story about uh, how uh, he, you know, his dad started the company his dad was this rough tough guy and uh you know uh it was you know probably the type of culture that wouldn't go over well today and uh so this guy you know came back from business school and wrote up job descriptions and said to uh his dad here take a look at these and his dad looked at him and everything he says very good son just one more thing I would add to each one of them and he said what's that and he goes and any other damn thing I would tell you to do (laughs) <laughs> oh boy so yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh anyway uh, job descriptions um it's kind of it, you 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 excel or you fire yourself when you have a job description because it's very easy for me to say okay on your job description you're supposed to do these 10 or 12 things and you've only done four of them or six of them or whatnot, or you've done all 12 and you've really excelled and we're really happy with you. Right. So job descriptions are really important as opposed to, you know, saying to the guy, you should have known to do that. You should have, you know, you should have. No, that's, that's not the way you do it. So I have a lot of opinions on this one, Dan, I'm going to try to keep it to five minutes if I can. So first of all, um, Let's talk about job descriptions. So in the US, they're they they have this whole idea of accountability chart. And and by the way, I'm not some EOS guru here. I just it's just where my brain's at. It's what we do now. And it's kind of like we we talk. We do it as well. So I call it EOS and ease. So I'm like, I'm like, you know, talking traction ease. But yeah. So so the reality of it is that when you think about a job description, these things are frustrating. And for the most part, I would say 95% of them are useless. I mean, completely useless. And the reason is, is because they're broad, they're generic. You could look at it. It's like when you, if you're going to reward someone or you want to change the behavior of someone, the worst thing you can do is be broad and generic because now the person doesn't understand or know the positive behavior that they really need to perform or the negative behavior that they that they didn't do right. Like if you say, well, you always forget something or you're, you don't own stuff. Well, that's not very helpful and it's not very actual. And I don't like job descriptions because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, what you need to understand is it's like, okay, I have a business and here's what has to happen in this business. And then once you get that clear, what has to happen in the business. Now, here is a person or the position that is accountable to make this specific piece of the business work. Okay. Now, once you have that, like what I don't like about them is I almost feel like they're a bait and switch for people when they are hired. One of the things that I really try to work on at Triangle is continuity. So when someone comes in, 
there's a really clear, and we call them position agreements. We don't call them job descriptions. We have an accountability chart that shows what the position is accountable to. Like, what are they accountable for? Like this position, for example, for a technician, it's, it's customer experience, it's route completion. It's, you know, there's, there's five or six different, but no more than that. And so they come in, their position agreement says that. All the reporting that we give to them are those, how are they doing in those accountabilities? Then when they come in to have their review once a year or once a quarter, it's all about those accountabilities. And the training program is designed around those accountabilities. And so there's continuity between every tool that's management's using. And it's clear and simple. You know, these job descriptions. It sounds I, like I a job know. description to me. It's just that you... Well, Take it yeah, yeah, and everything is around it. I mean, that's exactly well, what you're doing. Right? A job description, though, I, I just I guess the thing of it is, is that the piece that I think a lot of people miss is tying that to a real accountability and designing all of your systems around that accountability, not yeah, around. If, these if you have a job and, description, I give it to you, stick it in the closet and we never visit it again, then then forget it. Right. The, 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 the job description holds you accountable to what you're supposed to do and whether you know uh, that last thing in your gotta want to uh, have the capacity to do it right um, listen I you know played baseball in high school I uh, wanted to play baseball but I'm not in the pros never did make the pros right I just didn't, didn't have the capacity the, yeah didn't have the capacity right so, well the goal out of all of this is that you know focus Right. I mean, the reality of it is like you don't want some disjointed system where you have a job description that says one thing. The reporting is something different. The review is something completely different out of that. And then out of all, I mean, you, you know, so nothing is really there's nothing really that has continuity. And so now the person is like, well, I just do whatever is is the the flavor of the day. Right. And then, you know, and, and the other part of it is, is that you're not able to get the most out of your people. There's one more thing I want to say about job descriptions. And 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 I'm not telling you this is what you need to do, but I think it's an important part. It, it Triangle, we call them position agreements and we go through what they're kind of. I mean, we take exactly what's on the accountability chart and that's what's under their critical results area. And then at the very end, the 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 employee signs it and guess who else signs it? The manager. Yeah. And there's a statement from the manager that says, I'm going to provide all the training. I'm going to provide all the materials. I'm going to basically, I am going to provide you all the things that you need in order to do your, to, to produce these accountabilities. And so we put the manager on the hook as well. And I don't, I do that. It's kind of more for just the reality that, you know, our managers can't just, and not that our managers would do this, but it's a reminder that, you know, you're agreeing to this and we have a part that we need to play as well, right? Because if I give someone all the accountabilities, but I don't give them the support, I don't give them the training, I don't give them the feedback, those types of things, well, no one's going to succeed in that. And so it's just another way that that the person who's signing it understands that this is a relationship and we're all in on each other and we're here to do it together. So, all right. Very nice. So now that we're done with all the touchy-feely stuff. That's not touchy-feely. The third one <laughs> is the, my favorite, <laughs> track your labor costs by category and by department, okay? And that's extremely important, especially, uh, you know, in a time of inflation. And, and I think we're we're through the inflation, but, but in this tumultuous time. So a lot of people have asked uh, about our cost study. Hey, Dan, why don't you do a cost study every year? And the reason I don't do a cost study every year is because it's stated in percentages and the business, the industry has been the same 
percentages for a long time and it still will. But I will be doing an update to the cost study in 2024 based on 2023 uh, numbers and look for it. It'll, it takes a long time, there's a lot of data. So look for it like late spring, early summer. Uh, but you know what you've got to do is you've got to say, okay, well, uh, track those costs by category. We like to look at uh, technicians. If your company's big enough, we like to look at commercial technicians, residential technicians, and uh, we're destroying technicians. Uh, we like to look at sales. Uh, we look like to look at office, and we like to look at uh, managerial. Okay, so those categories, and um, so when we book our payroll, that those you know each person has a, a job function and gets booked into those areas. And you can look at our cost study for what those percentages should be. Um, and, um, you know, so so it's, it's, it's really important that you're able to uh, control your labor costs um, and, and probably a better, I, I refer to labor as uh, like technician frontline. I refer to wages as everybody, right? So if your numbers are getting, creeping up, that means that you have to make them creep down. And if you make them creep down, if you say to any of your employees that you've got to take a, a pay decrease, that's probably not going to go over real well. So how do you make those uh, wages go down, Donnie? Well, there's a couple of things. I mean, you have to increase your efficiency. That's the biggest thing. You can't, I mean, sales, if your percentages are creeping up, more sales is not going to solve your problem. It's not. So you're going to be looking at things like routing. You're going to be looking at things like, I mean, routing is a huge thing. You, you know, typically you're going to be looking at like management is management really managing because oftentimes if you start seeing like labor costs increase, generally what that is a sign of is mismanagement, generally speaking. And so, especially if you have the tools for tracking and those types of things, I mean, look, we're guilty of it. I've had this happen. Well, but but during this whole blip of inflation, it was that your top line wasn't doing as well as it needed to. And there's two ways to fix that: more efficient routing or raising prices. Price increase, you can always raise sure. Prices, right? So, yeah. So those are the two things. So that's that's really important. Yeah. Okay. And so um, you can always, you know. Uh, look at your PL if it's done properly. And it's it's very important that you know it's done properly. And that what I mean by that is that the divisions are divided up, right? And and you should have the proper chart of accounts for the, the proper size of your business. If you've got a half a million dollar business, you're not going to have technician labor in residential commercial or destroy. But if you've got a five million dollar business, yes, that, that's 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 what you want to do if you have those departments because you want to understand you know, am I, uh, you know, is my labor percentage good? So um, tracking uh, labor costs by category and department, very important. The other thing I would say out of that is, you know, and you you have this as kind of the next point, so maybe we'll combine the two, which is yeah. using labor benchmarks. You know, the reality of it is, is that there's nothing new under the sun when it comes to this, this industry. You're, there may be some factors like, you know, your market is a little higher in price and it could be a little bit lower, you know, but the reality of it is, is that it's a very predictable business. I mean, we can, you know, we can get our budget within one or two percentage points when something is that predictable, 
then what that means is, is that you really need to pay attention to benchmarks. And Dan was correct, right? I mean, you, you need to make sure you got things in the right category because if you don't, you can't benchmark. But but the fact is, is that, you know, look at benchmarks because at the end of the day, if you're pretty well in line with benchmarks, then that's telling you that, hey, yeah, I managed my labor well. And if you start watching it move up or down, you can either start rewarding your managers or look at what you've done in terms of efficiency or flip it around uh, and, and and say your labor is coming up and be like, hey, guys, w- what's going on here? And, and, you know, again, it's also a good point to bring into your managers if you have managers that work for you, because now you can say, look, this is not normal because sometimes people get this thing like, well, we, there's nothing we can do. And you're like, mm, no, actually take a look at this benchmark study, right? This is, there's lots of companies who are able to pull this off. So we need to sit down and figure it out. So, um, so anyway, that's kind of my thought on that. There is one thing I want to talk about here real quick. That's on this list, but it's going to require us to skip a few. Are you okay with that? Yeah. Down here at number nine, you've got... (laughs) He's all the way at nine. (laughs) We'll come back because it's an important point. And and it's kind of like, I agree with it. And I also want to add to it. And I think a lot of people miss this. I have a question for you before you stop. This thumb keeps coming up on my screen. How do you do that? I don't... You know what's funny? For people watching on YouTube, it just... I tried I to do it by doing so, that. So, like, if you do this, sometimes it does it. I don't know. Who knows? I had it happen on a meeting the other day, and it was really awkward because it wasn't one of those thumbs-up meetings. So, who knows? But <laughs> so, so, we're firing everybody. Yeah, no, 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 yeah, exactly. You got to be careful with that one. But, you know, I want to talk through this number nine. It says, create a culture of appreciation. And I do agree with that. And I want to, I want to talk about this a little bit because I think it's one of the critical things that, you know, you're talking about what are your, what are your nine things that, you know, it's going to help you, you know, reduce employee turnover and create a more positive work environment and, and really get these under control. The big thing that you really need to pay attention to is how do people behave at your company? Some people call that culture. Some people call it whatever, but I want to tell it, but I actually want to cover this topic by telling the story. So, you know, when I was in the military, um, I was in a reserve unit my last, oh gosh, 13, 14 years. And, you know, they, they, they take people you that old. They do. They do. Okay. They do. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm an old guy. There's no doubt about it. But are you familiar with the civil service, Dan? Are you familiar with civil service and like what that is? Uh, explain it. I think I do, but I don't want to get Okay. So these are people who work in the military. Who are support people for the military. Yeah. Who are civilians, right? So these are government jobs. You can literally go in and shoot someone and put them in a body bag and you're not going to get fired from these jobs. It's just ridiculous. Like, I mean, it is unreal what you can get away with once you get one of these government jobs. And by the way, no disrespect to all of our civil servants out there. There are some who are good, but I'm just telling you it's, that's how it works in the military. And what's so funny is, is that since it's so hard and so bureaucratic to fire someone in the military, I shouldn't say the military, in civil service, what would happen is, is someone really suck and they just get bounced around. They get moved to different areas. And so they'd come in and, you know, some boss would be like, my gosh, this person really sucks. And they would move them to somewhere else because you couldn't fire them. Right. So, you know, so take that. And then, you know, I came from the aviation side of training. When you go through Air Force training, and, and it, I'm, I'm sure it's like this for any job, but the culture in like aviation is like, it's intense. 
you know, their job is to make you in the top 1%. And their job is also to weed out anyone that's not going to perform at a very high level. So, so here you are, you're coming out of training, your level of accountability is way high, right? And, and you, what's expected of you is way high. And, you know, AETC has done their job. They have produced, in our case, a pilot or a boom operator or whatever, an air guy that is just going, right? And they're super motivated. And so I saw this, I called it becoming the institutional man because it absolutely was a thing. And I don't know if it was because I was a business owner and I just saw it, but it was a thing in our squadron. So you have a guy to come in and they would just be killing it. I mean, working extra hours, they would clean stuff up. They'd be working 12 hours a day. I mean, just having a massive impact and they would get hired as a civil service person. And this is what they're doing, right? They're just getting, so what do you think, how do you think they got rewarded for doing all this work? Working for the government? They did. Well, they did. They got more work. That's how they got right, rewarded. Right, because right. finally now there's someone in the office who's actually working and they're like, my gosh, I can give it to. And I use the guy that I always use is his name was Miller, right? But but he would come in and this first six months, man, he would completely turn a department around. And he would completely, I mean, you could do he or she, it doesn't matter. I watched this phenomenon happen years, year after year after year. And so they would turn it around. And then after about eight to 12 months, guess what they would figure out? I can work a quarter of what I'm working right now. And I'm going to get paid the same and no one's going to do anything. By the way, what you just described uh, uh, works at big accounting firms too. I was there. The better you are, the more crap they pile on you. And if you can take it, you'll eventually make partner. And that's, and so, you know, when I talk about, we talk about creating this culture of appreciation, what I would say what I would say, and I called it the becoming an institutional man. And it was kind of a joke, right? I mean, you know, before I left, I mean, I had a, a, a group of friends that had been, you know, in reserve unit, you don't really move around like you do in active duty. And so I had a group of friends that are probably about 10 and, and we'd be talking about what was happening. I'm like, oh, that person, yeah, they're institutional man now or an institutional woman now, meaning that their performance dropped off like a freaking cliff because eventually what would happen is, is they would start behaving like the organization. They were so different. They came from behaving from what was expected to them in training and which was like, you're all in and you're going. And they came to an organization where the behavior was totally different. And so I say all that to say this, we talk about create a culture of appreciation. It's created a culture of appreciation and performance. You need to pay attention to what do you expect of your people? What is my culture really like? Is when, you know, because I can certainly take someone who is an absolute great fit and turn them into a problem person because they behave. That's the way my organization behaves. And so you need to pay attention to organiza- organizational behavior, culture, whatever you want to call it. You're, that is a really, that's a real big thing. And I think a lot of folks don't pay attention to that. And it's one of the most key things that you absolutely could, because you could be great at recruiting. You could be great at getting Colby's and hiring the right people and still screw it up, still screw it up. You know? So just, just something to think about. So, all right, I'm off my soapbox now. That's, I want to well, get to that point. You went from, I don't even know what number we were at, to the last one, but there is one other, and we are starting to run out of time. Um, it's not as uh, dramatic as you. Well, it, I don't think it'll be as emotionally charged, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> did you hear Donnie last week on the AI? Oh, gosh, oh my God. I, I, he, he was so, I, I just kind of, you know, he was all wound up and just let him go. So uh, yeah. anyway, 
Yeah. So clearly this whole culture thing is uh, in his uh, yes. in his ear. So yes. understand over time and use it sparingly. So when I say understand it, over time is not a bad thing. If you're making money or doing, uh, you know, if there's productivity that's coming out of it. Um, over time can be a real good thing um, because you're getting, you know, if, if I'm selling, uh, a, a, you know, my my service at $100 and, and my guys make 20 and now I got to pay them 30, um, I'm still doing okay, right? Um, but you've got to understand that there's also a break point. There's two things, right? So uh, does that mean that if I have 80 hours of work, I should have one guy working uh, 40 hours of overtime? No, there's at, at a point you've got to break it into two which will add costs, right? Because now you've got to add a truck, uniforms, benefits, everything else of that second guy. But you've got to understand, you know, uh, overtime and, and overtime is like a rubber band, right? It, it stretches and it comes back. But if it just stretches and stays stretched, that's when you got to think about, okay, well, I need another guy or another girl, whatever. Um, you know, and, and so you've got to understand overtime and don't always think that overtime is a bad thing but you've got to manage it properly. Well, the other thing I would add to overtime is, look, you look at what's coming in to the workforce. I mean, it's not even millennials anymore. They're in, right? So now we're in Gen Z and, and you, you see this, it started with millennials and it's even more prevalent with Gen Z. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing and I'm not saying it's a good thing, but I am saying it's a thing. And what it's a thing is, is, you know, and I'm not going to be like, in my day, we used to, I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is, you know, walk up the hill both ways. That's right. I had no problem working overtime. In fact, I worked a lot of overtime back in the day when I was an aircraft mechanic and that's what I did. I figured out about 55 hours is where taxes didn't make any sense anymore. So I really didn't like working over 55, 60 hours when I did overtime, but this new generation, you want to lose someone? Work them a lot of overtime. Like you really need to think that through. I, I mean, it has went from like in my generation, and I and I sound like an old fart right oh now. Oh my god! Because I am. Yes, like I know, man. I know. So, but but you know, it was like it was all about the money. And what I'm telling you, that has been supplanted now with it's all about time. And so, so what I would say to this is obviously there's the financial piece of understanding your overtime, and you know sometimes. Overtime is a bunch of BS. How much time are they spending around the office in the morning? Is you know, are they really spending an hour? Like you think about an hour in the morning, like you know, they're all with hanging out, and, and that's really good for my culture. Well, if they're turning in sixty hours of overtime, I'm sorry, twenty hours of overtime. That means five of those hours are freaking BS hours that you probably shouldn't be paying for, right? Um, and that's expensive hours. But the other piece of this, which is kind of the hidden cost, which is if you work the newer generation a ton of overtime, you will lose them. You absolutely will lose them because I will tell you that their time is more important than their money. That is, that is something I have seen over and over. And this is not just in my business. It's, you know, I, I talk to folks, it's just, it is just, you have to understand the value system. Again, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It doesn't really matter. I'm just telling you that it's a thing and you need to pay attention to it. So. Well, and, and so anybody who also uh, thinks that if they pay a percentage of route, that they uh, that they uh, skirt that and whatnot. There are certain rules in doing the calculation of, 
you know, that outside sales exemption that allows you to do that. So, um, and that's kind of beyond the scope of this, this, this podcast. But, that's a whole podcast so, in of itself. Yeah, right. Just make so sure you track in time. Right. So don't think that, oh, well, I pay my guys a percentage of route. So that last point doesn't, um, you know, is not relevant it, to me. It is. It's relevant to everyone. It's relevant. I mean, it's relevant to everyone. So even if you pay your folks commission only, you still need to track your time because if you ever get audited, you need to prove that these guys or gals are making it just as much as they would if they were on hourly at minimum wage and they were getting overtime on that, which we all know you should be able to make that threshold pretty easily, but you need some way to prove what you're saying. Otherwise you're in the wrong. So Just yeah. something to pay attention to. Okay, you got one last thing on here. I think we got like three minutes. I do think that we need to cover it though, which is number eight. Uh, conduct exit interviews. Absolutely. <laughs> and do that with your customers as well. <laughs> but yeah. but uh, get feedback from employees who are leaving your company. Use the feedback to identify areas where you can improve your company culture retention and retention efforts um, that, you know, that's the key is, uh, by the way, if you, you can, employee retention is probably the single most thing that you can do to reduce employee costs, right? You know, absolutely. Um, so, so you don't want absolutely. a revolving door. Uh, so, so go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, so I want to talk a little bit about this. Um, you know, it'd be great if we could learn something one time and have it mastered. But the fact is, is that we don't. And when it comes to people, you know, people are unpredictable. We're all crazy. I just say, it's just what level of crazy are we at and what conditions will bring out crazy, but we're all crazy. Right. I mean, that's just the reality, but these exit interviews. Yeah. I'll speak for myself. I'm not omnipotent like some, but I will say this. I will say this exit interviews are gold. They are absolute gold. And the reason that they are is because you're not always going to get good feedback, right? You're not always going to get, you're going to get one data point, but what exit interviews allow you to do is they allow you to see what's really going on and the effectiveness of what you're doing. Is it working or not? Because sometimes people leave because of life events. Sometimes people leave because, you know, whatever, right? I mean, it could be an issue. Like we found issues in our business that we didn't know existed until we had an exit interview. And so if you have a larger company, you absolutely should do these. If you have a smaller company, you absolutely should do these. And if you feel like it's going to be awkward, you doing it, bring a third party in, but don't miss the feedback because this is what you can use to calibrate what you're doing in terms of what you're hiring. You can find issues in your culture. Like for example, when I talk about the institutional man, right? He may come and do an exit interview and be like, look, I did all this extra work. I never was rewarded. I got more work as my as my go-to and and that's it. And you wouldn't, my point is, is that there's there's so much good data in these interviews. And you, when I say you, I mean the owner should absolutely be reviewing these exit interviews. You should read them. I don't care how big your company is. You need to read them. Uh, and, and it may be that some of that stuff is BS and it's fine. Again, but but at the end of the day, it's your way of identifying gaps, holes that you can fill in your culture, in your people, in your systems so that you can get better. And, and you need feedback, right? You, you need that feedback in order to make those adjustments. You're just going to find them a lot sooner 
with these exit interviews. So, okay. I'm done. Good deal. You're off and I'm out of breath. I'm off That's my soapbox. I'm off my right. soapbox. Anything to add there, Dan? Nothing to add. I think that, uh, that uh, the article will appear in PMP uh, December edition. Looking forward to seeing it. Um, my picture won't be on it because it was explained that I have a face for radio, but nevertheless, the data in there is pretty good. A couple of comparisons to Department of Labor. Maybe uh, maybe what we should do is we should put that picture of you in college with a fro on the podcast website. That was high school. That oh, was it was high school. Oh, yeah. 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 So, yeah all right. Yeah. All righty. Well, just a reminder that all of our resources and topics that we talked about today are available on the podcast website, pmpindustryinsider.com. Just take a look under show notes. And this is our shameless plug. We always appreciate any kind of ratings and reviews that we can get, unless they're negative. In those cases, please direct those to Dan. And with that, we're signing off. We'll see you next time. Take care. Take care. See you. Bye.